This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance, Wendell Berry. I don't think it is enough appreciated how much of an outdoor book the Bible is. It is a hypothetical book, such as Thoreau talked about, a book open to the sky. It is best read and understood outdoors, and the farther, the farther outdoors, the better. Or that has been my experience of it. Passages that within walls seem improbable or incredible, outdoors seem merely natural. This is because outdoors we are confronted everywhere with wonders. We see that the miraculous is not extraordinary, but the common mode of existence. It is our daily bread. Whoever really has considered the lilies of the field or the birds of the air and pondered the improbability of their existence in this warm world within the cold and empty stellar distances will hardly balk at the turning of water into wine, which was, after all, a very small miracle. We forget the greater and still continuing miracle by which water, with soil and sunlight, is turned into grapes. Reading of scripture from Exodus 24, 12 through 18. Thanks. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud, and as he went up the mountain and stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be God. This the Holy Gospel according to Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make you three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks. Amen. The transfiguration of Jesus. This is a really big story. 
It even gets its own day on the church's liturgical calendar. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. Um, So to recap, Jesus goes up the mountain with a few of his closest friends, and suddenly he changes. He, um, his face shines like the sun, his clothes become bright white. And then Moses and Elijah show up, which is really extra weird because they're dead. And God speaks to all of them directly from a cloud. The title of this sermon is The Meaning of This, and uh, I'm going to spoil it for you. I don't know what this means. <laughs> I don't have an answer, and I want to tell you this morning why I'm okay with that. I read this over and over and over and over, and I couldn't come up with an immediate direction for a sermon. Um, a lot of times when you sit down with a scripture text, something sort of emerges and speaks to your spirit. It did not do that for me. No matter how much I wrestled with my Bible, I couldn't get this scripture passage to give up what I thought it was hiding from me. It was like I was trying to open up one of those, just a really old jar of jelly in the fridge that's been there for a really long time, and the jelly has actually formed a super glue between the lid and the jar. That's what trying to figure this out was like for me. Um, I couldn't make it give me a sermon. And one thing to do while studying a passage is look at commentaries, look at what other people have discovered about the text. Um, And some commentaries gave me some really interesting things. Uh, This story is meant as an echo of an Old Testament story that we just heard in Exodus 24. The story in Exodus where God reveals God's glory to Moses on a mountain, and Moses' face shines like the sun. Jesus' face face shone like that. And I thought maybe a sermon would be in there, and there probably is, but nothing was speaking to me. Another thing a commentary said was Moses and Elijah were there because Moses was representing the Old Testament um, law, and Elijah was representing the Old Testament prophets. So there's this interplay between Jesus and the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets. I found this really interesting, but it was not speaking to me. There's also a really clear connection to Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3. This is another, the only other place where we hear God speaking directly to the people in Matthew, and he says almost the same thing. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Um, it was fascinating, but I was unmoved. <laughs> I'm sheepish when I say this out loud, that I was unmoved by, by such wonderful things. Um, so another thing to do when you are studying a passage is um, look at yourself. Look inward. Um, I needed to add a layer of thinking about myself in that kind of a social political realm. Who am I as I read this passage? I needed to take into account my position in society to see things more clearly. Maybe when I confront my biases and presuppositions, um, you know, as a white, straight, cisgender woman, I'll be able to find a different meaning or um, something else will speak to me. Uh, again, I was unmoved. The last layer I decided to add to my information salad I was tossing uh, was collecting thoughts from friends. I have some really brilliant friends. Um, I think they're creative and thoughtful, and I just wanted to hear from them what, what they thought. So I threw it out there on Facebook, like you do. And... Um, And 
I got some really interesting responses, and I just want to share two of them with you. Uh, my friend Brad wondered if maybe this story was given to us by God to make something really clear. And the Spirit said this to Brad, that Jesus is who he says he is, um, the Holy One of God. I thought that was really beautiful. My friend Matthew pointed out that in the Old Testament, um, in this particular Exodus story that we had just read, um, the glory of God was revealed on the mountain, but it stays contained. There's something contained about it. In our story now, in Matthew 17, um, the glory doesn't stay on the mountain. Uh, it goes with Jesus down the mountain and descends into the people. And now the glory of God is literally dwelling with the people. And that I found to be really beautiful. Some good sermon material. But it wasn't my sermon. <laughs> So I collected everything that I thought I needed to collect to make a sermon happen. And I had everything I needed to make meaning out of this, to find an answer. Um, somewhere in my theological analysis or social analysis or in my brilliant friends would be an answer, I thought for sure. Um, I spent many, many hours trying to make all this say one thing, but I still couldn't get the lid off of my jelly jar. So eventually I decided to give up for a little while and give my brain a break to take a shower. And that's when it happened, a shower epiphany. And I know you all have had them because for some reason, for some reason the shower is the best place for epiphanies. And my epiphany was this, that I am Peter in this story. I am Peter in the Transfiguration story. I don't want to be Peter. Nobody wants to be Peter in the Transfiguration story. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus on the mountain, along with James and John, watching this whole transformation, transfiguration thing happen. And something weird and wonderful and perplexing is going on right in front of his face. Something sacred is happening in his presence, and all Peter can do is talk through it. He says, I'm so happy we're here. Let me do something about this. I, I got I to gotta do something. I'll make you a tent, Jesus. And then J J Elijah, I'll make you a tent. And then Moses, I'll make you a tent. And then God interrupts Peter. The story literally says that God interrupts Peter while he's still talking. God interrupts him and says, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen. Peter was so busy trying to make sense out of whatever was happening right in front of him that he was missing it. I was so busy trying to make sense out of this story that I was completely missing it. When I finally uh, was not trying to make up or come up with an answer, when I loosened my grip on all of this information, it was good collected information, but I was holding it really tight. When I finally loosened my grip on it, when I finally just gave Matthew 17 a little bit of a rest, that was the first time in this whole process that I had paused long enough to listen and receive the story of Jesus' transfiguration. I had the same thing in front of me as Peter had, the same exact scene, this weird, wonderful, perplexing scene of glory, and I had the same immediate response. I just wanted to know the answer, and I just wanted to act on it. But the only thing that my friends and my books um, and this story required of me was to listen. That's all they were asking me to do, was to listen, to receive them, 
I had forgotten that my essential task as a preacher is not to come up with answers. It is to listen for and receive the sacred. I'm not telling you this because I think everybody needs to hear a sermon about writing a sermon. (laughs) It's not something most of us need to hear. I'm telling you this because this particular problem is something we get wrong as humans all of the time. One of the most important things we can do as humans is listen for and receive the sacred. We are so busy responding to life and looking for answers and the meaning that we miss meaning altogether. And I'm not saying that we're too busy or that we need more quiet time, although that's probably very true. I'm saying that in the 8 million different things each of us are doing each day, we don't recognize any of them as sacred. Everything is another thing to get to another thing. Sacred moments aren't usually full of glorious light. Uh, Somebody's face is not normally shining with the sun in front of you. Your clothes aren't suddenly transfigured into white, brilliant whiteness. Um, It might not be like the mountaintop experience. Sacred moments look more like when you're really listening to a friend tell you about their day. It's more like when your kid makes a bubble beard in the bathtub. It's the smell when you cut into a fresh uh, grapefruit or a lemon. It's saying a genuine thank you to a stranger holding a door open for you. And it's definitely reading a Bible passage without being so concerned with how to interpret it that you can't hear what the Spirit is saying to you. I think listening and just taking in moments is really difficult for us, Um, probably for a lot of reasons, but primarily because it doesn't feel like we're doing anything. It doesn't really feel like action. It is action, and it's sacred action. And it's also the most important step. Listening is the most important step to taking further action, meaningful action. I want to give you a few examples of what I mean. We have this standard greeting. I think it's a Midwest thing that goes like this. Hi, how are you? And then somebody says, I'm good, how are you? And you respond, good. Good, I'm glad we're all good. Good. Like, <laughs> good, I'm, we established that we're good. Um, how uncomfortable do you get when somebody breaks the rule and says, you know, I've been better. I'm really, something's going on. I'm tired. Uh, here, There's this thing happening in my life. Um, how you respond is really important in these moments. Um, what is happening is an invitation. Someone is, is trusting you enough to invite you, uh, to invite you into their heart, into their pain. Um, and we can hurry the conversation along. We can half listen. We can uh, come up with really fast, snappy solutions to what we perceive to be their problems. Um, but that's not what they're asking for. Nobody's asking for that. Uh, we don't have to know what to say. We don't have to have an answer. We don't have to find the meaning at all, in it all. Our only task in that moment when someone extends such an invitation to you is to receive it and to listen. Another example, one day this week I took a, took a break for my brain, and for some reason I turned on the news as if that was going to be a break for me. Um, and I happened to catch a live video feed of 
the last remaining water protector at Standing Rock being removed from the camp. Um, I was angry and outraged and frustrated, and all I wanted to do was take action. I just wanted to come up with something to do to respond to this thing that I was watching. But I really didn't know what to do. Um, I could have come up with my own solution, and this is what Peter did, right? Uh, I could have... I, I could have come up with anything because I wanted to feel useful. I wanted to feel useful like Peter did. Uh, there are a number of things I could have done to satisfy my desire to feel useful, like maybe write a blog post interpreting what I had just seen, which is kind of what Peter did, um, minus the blog. But none of that would have actually served anybody but me. My job now, um, as I reflect, is just to listen to receive the heart of the matter from people who have been on the front line of opposing the Dakota Access Pipeline since the very beginning. Only then can I honor the need at the heart of the issue. Only then can I come up with truly helpful and meaningful action. My job is to listen for and receive the sacred work of submitting to somebody else's direction and wisdom. Mary Oliver wrote, it is a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in this broken world. It is serious indeed, and wild, and ordinary, and glory-filled, and sacred. Right now, I'd like to extend to you an invitation. I want us to go back to the mountain together and see if we can be there for no other purpose but to receive it as a sacred moment. I'm going to read again our passage from Matthew 17, and we'll have just a few minutes, a few moments of silence. And the invitation is to just let yourself be there. Avoid asking the question, why? Ask yourself, what do I hear? What do I see? And what do I feel? Let's go back there together. Six days later, three of them saw the glory. Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out right before their eyes. Sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there in deep conversation with Jesus. Peter broke in, Master, this is a great moment. What would you think if I built three memorials here on the mountain? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah? While he was going on like this, babbling, a light, radiant cloud enveloped them, and sounding from deep in the cloud, a voice. This is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight. Listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. But Jesus came over and touched them. Don't be afraid. When they opened their eyes and looked around, all they could see was Jesus, only Jesus. Coming down the mountain, Jesus swore them to secrecy. Don't breathe a word of what you've seen. After the Son of Man is raised from the dead, you are free to talk.
something strange was happening on that mountain. We saw Jesus in his glory, and in his glory, Jesus remains. Listen to him. We witnessed a sacred moment on that mountain, and the sacred persists all around us. Listen for it. As far as this particular passage goes, um, I found after reading a few sermons yesterday that I am not alone in this problem with this passage. There's something about it. I'm not the only one whose usual process was interrupted by this weird, wonderful, perplexing, strange event. I'll study it some more. I'll ask some more questions. And I guarantee at some point I'll be writing more sermons on it. Um, Hopefully they won't be sermons about writing sermons. Um, But for now, in this moment today, for now, the meaning of this is that we stopped long enough to listen. Now God bless you and keep you. God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look you full in the face and give you peace. Amen. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Mm-hmm.